Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. Today, I sit down with Cindy Kaplan. Cindy is a conscious parenting coach, a soul care coach, trained yoga practitioner for children with special needs, and a former family therapist. She's written the book, Free Fall, One Mother's Journey, Raising a Child with Special Needs. Cindy has so much today to share with us, the audience, as um, we talk about messages of how important it is to really take care of ourselves on a deep level and also understand the concept that we're all here as a perfectly intact soul. So we we cover a lot of practices and just a lot of principles of life, really a big one being dropping into the as is and how to live out that principle. So I thank Cindy for being here today and I'm excited for you to listen and hear what you think. I'll see you in the episode. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And today I am sitting with Cindy Kaplan. And Cindy and I met in a virtual classroom two and a half years ago. I don't believe we've met in person yet, (laughs) which is incredible because I think we feel like we know each other pretty well. Um, And so, Cindy, I really wanted to have you here today because uh, not only you're remarkable life story, but the remarkable ways in which you've come to meet your life. Um, Maybe, you know, in the beginning, not always willingly, but just um, across time and space, learning how to be with what has come up in your life. And um, we're going to talk about all of it today. I'll tell the listeners that you are trained as a therapist, a parent coach, a yogi, a yoga instructor, and the author of a book, Free Fall, One Mother's Journey Raising a Child with Special Needs. I'll hold it up if anyone ever watches this on YouTube. But um, we'll have the the book. Um, This book is amazing. I know that it hasn't been out in the universe for that that long, and that it was probably living in your mind for quite some time before it came to fruition. When I met you in Susie Lula's Permission to Thrive, this was in creation. I remember you talking about it. So um, there are so many lessons, life lessons that that are that are talked about in free fall. And I believe that they're gonna a lot of them be the basis of our conversation today. And I want to welcome you and just allow you to, you know, begin with your thoughts about even what I've just shared about your life or what I see in you. Thank you, Maureen. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And from everything that you just said, 
<clears throat> what just jumped out at me was when you said meet how we meet our lives. And, and I feel like it's, it's a beautiful take on accepting the as is because in every moment there's something about like meeting our lives that we do over and over and over again. Like each day we're meeting our life, each moment, whether it's a struggle or a joyful occasion, ease or struggle, it's we're meeting in that moment. We, we meet and re-meet mm. our life. So mm-hmm. just, I love how you said that because I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful way to understand that we have, there's a, there's a freshness there's a new beginning and a way in which when we meet someone or meet something, there's a moment of, of starting. And, mm-hmm. and I think we have that, that ability. Oh, that's beautiful. Times a day. That's beautiful. And so even as you and I sit here today, we meet again, yeah. we meet again, we, and we're changed from the last time that we Absolutely. met. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think in understanding like the fact you and I are re-meeting each other, but that we have the chance to also like re-meet ourselves, mm-hmm. which tie into, you know, the, I think what has been a guiding principle that I have had to learn over and over and over again, which does shine through in the book is this idea of self-compassion mm-hmm. and really understanding what we're truly meant to be here yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a, uh... Let's talk about that just as we go through the interview, but just the way that we hold ourselves, the way that we come to ourselves and it's not language. It's not ways of being that you or I probably were familiar. I know, you know, if we want to start there before we start, I don't know. um, You know, I was going to say, I don't know if you would have written the book had it not been for Mira's birth. Um, and we'll, we're going to talk about Mira and, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, your parenting with Noah and Micah as well. But, um, I was going to say, you know, go back to the beginning a little bit or your house of origin and sort of who was little Cindy when she was a little girl, teenager growing up. Little Cindy was what was often referred to as, you know, sort of the golden child, middle child, um, of two parents, one, a very successful lawyer and, and a mom who was sort of like pulled out of the wrong decade. Like she, she was, or, or maybe, maybe she wasn't, she just didn't live up. She both lived authentically and not authentically to herself as like a, a hippie as a, of a flower child. So there was this, there was this um, interesting disconnect between who my parents were and she she had a really hard time living according to conventional wisdom of time and space, yeah. which as she got older and as she passed, I had a greater appreciation for, but even in the midst of, and they, they, they divorced, she struggled with addiction to painkillers. So as a, as a young child, I very easily and welcomed the role of people, please are good girl. Mm. Mm-hmm. The needs of my mothers were too great for me to be able to share any upset or difficult feelings. So I, I stuffed it yeah. and, and became necessarily their caregivers. But I, I distinctly remember my dad right immediately post-divorce needing mm-hmm. 
needing care, asking me to talk to my mom and that sort of thing. And my mom looking for validation mm-hmm. from all three of us as kids. Uh, and so I, I think I also took on the role of being the one who could handle everything. Yeah. So if you Just were all together. Yeah. And if you were that one that was the validator or the, the, the one who was always there for the other's needs, then you, we, we often get what we perceive as outer validation for that role. So the role perpetuates in our lives. We don't get a, and we're not introspective or reflective enough yet, but we might know that something is a little bit off in our inner world. I remember that feeling as a teen, like, yes. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm acting out. I'm being the good girl. Like I had a bunch of roles I played, but the the inner, there was always something there that was like, something's off here. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I definitely felt that. I love too, how you said, so, so with your mom, you had, you said like, there was this part that you saw as her authenticity and you, in the book, you talk about how she owned the shop. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about that? I, I found that really fascinating because that sounded like it was a place of connection and of her shining her true essence and where she came alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she opened a store. I think my younger brother was in high school at the time. Mm-hmm. So no, I was in high school too. He was younger. I was in high school because I worked there as a high school student. Um, she opened this art gallery in this funky area in Minneapolis And she was connected to all these local artists. And I just remember that being such a, maybe not a shift, but a time in my life where I so admired her. Wow. And, and, and I think it was because she was so at home in this element. So seeing her, you know, I think there's many conversations now happening where I think what our kids want more than anything is to see us taking care of ourselves. And I, I lived that. I experienced that. And I, I know how I felt when my mother was immersed in a life that resonated with her and how that was so freeing for me. Mm. And so, yeah, in this world where she was hands-on creating displays and she sucked at the business side of it, right. But she (laughs) had somebody helping her with that. She could not do that at all. Um, but I love being in the store. I remember, like, I remember being introduced to the nylons, which was one of the first acapella groups oh, around, wow. <laughs> and listening to this great music on a cassette recorder in the store and seeing her talk to people, which was her thing, which was, yeah. which when she was in the store and spoke to people who came in, it was so lovely where when she did that, if we were in a grocery store and she went up to some stranger and started having a 10 minute conversation, I was horrified. As right. I was like, oh my yeah. God, get out of here. Um, but she lied in a very different way. I mean, it was, I, there were, there were many levels of gray between this black and white, but there was who she was in the store and there was who she was at home where elements of this creativity and aliveness came out. But I also have this like picture of her just in bed. Mm-hmm. So much time mm-hmm. in bed. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, there was just this freedom that I felt as a kid, as a teenager, yeah. when she was living her most authentic life. A really beautiful lesson for oh my gosh. Uh, our lives as adult women and um, having because children. It goes, against everything, yes. it goes against everything that we're taught, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like exactly the opposite of this notion of, 
excuse me for being morbid, but like when we look at obituaries and people write or speak to somebody about somebody at a funeral saying they were so selfless, right? They did everything for their children. Mm -hmm. And I think, no, years ago, I would have heard that and also really respected that and took that on as a did. I think most of us took that on as a value. Yeah. And to think of that now, I look at that and think that is not the way that I want to be spoken about. That is not mm-hmm. the way that I want to go out with somebody saying she was selfless. Right. Right. Yeah. Because that means to you that what you giving up on my own authenticity mm-hmm. for the needs of others, yeah, which I did, which yes. I did for many, many years. Yes. Yeah. I relate to that too. And I, I love the parallel though, uh, with your mom and, and witnessing her and yeah. seeing her in her element. And that's a gift that so often, I think when we go back and talk about the losses that we, we, um, experienced in childhood, mm-hmm. we don't get, we don't have that, that beauty in the other side. I was just sharing with our colleague, Joe, how my mom, she had a lot of conflict in her conflict and, um, you know, took that out in different ways throughout her life. But she had the gift of just being able to sit with somebody and it, no, it wasn't in a store, but she lit up lives when she got in that, in that vibration, in that part of her element, which is, that can be kind of a guidepost for us. I love that about your mom. Yeah. And my mother had that as well. I mean, all of my friends loved being with my mom Mm -hmm. and she did. She had that ability. I mean, sometimes she would, we joked when she would hug somebody it was like, she didn't know when to let go. And I could always witness <laughs> the awkwardness on the other person's face. Like, okay, isn't this the moment that we let go? Yes. That didn't matter to her. And right, right. she just kind of hugged somebody until she was ready to yes. let I go. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And um, and my, my siblings and I always have, well, we've spoken often about when we were dating people or when we had friends, like we wanted them to meet our mom mm-hmm. in a way that we knew that that was reflective of something within us, right? Yeah. Like, Look right. at that now and think there was a part of her that I wanted to nurture with myself. Mm-hmm. And so by having friends meet her, it was like, okay, so now, you know, like this is a part of me and wow. yet also felt at the same time how I was constricting yeah. that or yes. not allowing that to fully, fully yeah. come out. Yeah. And so you, you have that part of you. I mean, mm-hmm. you talked about it in the book and we can kind of like go, you know, forward into your life a little bit. I know that you're, you know, from the Midwest, you're, you are a badger uh, (laughs) from Wisconsin or University of Wisconsin. You went on to study a graduate degree in, um, I believe, therapy, drama therapy. therapy. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so here you go. You're moving through your life. You Mm -hmm. are doing all the things you're, you're awake and alert on so many levels, studying where your heart's taking you. And still, and I know this because you, you talk about it in the book, but you have this part of you that's not yet in touch with this, this whole emotional world. So, but you, you keep going and you start your family and do you want to say something there? Well, I was just going to say, I, I'm, you're, you're bringing me back to like a final assignment we had (laughs) in one of my courses in drama therapy. And, and it was, I, I, I still remember we had to create some like self-revelatory performance. And I just remember something where I was mostly outside the circle, but 
but I literally had one leg stuck back in this, in this circle that was, mm. that was stuck. And so in listening to you just talk about my life in this way, in the way that I've lived it, it is as if I have done the things that were touching my soul. Like I, I feel like I've let my soul guide me yeah. in terms of the direction I've lived. And yet it took Mira coming into my world to really allow me to embody it. Mm-hmm. Right. It was like I was doing the things, yeah. but I wasn't embodying them in the way that was really soul filling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I was you. always holding a little bit back. Yeah. So you see that about yourself now. It's like that, that wow. really that hindsight and kind of seeing and having so much compassion for all the ages and all the ways that we showed up when we did. And so you were a young mom and you, you moved from the Midwest out to Boston and amazing in the book, how you say like, right on the the heels of nine 11, you are in this new place. You have your little boy who's about three. I think you said no was, mm-hmm. and you go to give birth to Mira yeah. and, um, and how your life changed in an instant. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, I joke, it was like, I needed this big hit on the head, you know, with Mira to like really, really wake up at like, okay, if you're not taking care of yourself at this point, yeah, we need something bigger. Yeah. And so yeah, Mira entered my life in a way that was completely unexpected Mm -hmm. and brought me to my core, brought me to, to a place ultimately. And thankfully when she was two, you know, I mean, I, I, and, and I think again, I mean, similarly, everything I felt being in her presence and what I felt when I was not in her presence, which I also write about, yeah, there was this drastic difference in the, like, I, I don't feel like I are, can articulate it well, but it was when I was with her in the, so she was, she was in the ICU for a month and every organ of hers had shut down. She brought them back to normal functioning, but we didn't know what she suffered a brain injury during labor and delivery, severe deprivation of oxygen. And nobody could say how it was going to play out, but the words cerebral palsy were floated. And I could only visualize like my greatest fear, which was her in a wheelchair with her head to the side and tongue hanging out and drooling and mostly the feeling was this feeling of loneliness, this feeling of being isolated. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand then that my fear was then also about us and me feeling isolated, Mm -hmm. but that it was, you know, for her. But when I was with her, I felt this incredible, incredible connection. Listen, you know, in a few years, you're going to give a little, um, the first month with her, in, in the NICU, I I don't know what I would have done. I, I, I could barely walk into a hospital as a kid. Like I felt nauseous every time I went into a hospital. And so I I don't know what I would have done, but so here we are, we just, we land in this space. And on a daily basis, I was in and out of the hospital many times spending hours and hours in the ICU feeling connected to this being that Mm. I can't describe Mm -hmm. Yes. The other way, except I felt like it was almost like the world outside us didn't matter except right. these and my interactions with the nurses. Yes. And then when I was not with her, I, I just like, 
it was like I stepped out of one room into this other room that was all fear-based. That was, Mm -hmm. I couldn't even see her. I couldn't, it was like, she wasn't a complete person in my head. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not doing a great job articulating it and I articulating it. And I, and I was just that it was so drastic in her presence than when I was with, when I was not with her. And I actually think that's not so different than the way that we are with any of our kids or many yeah. different situations. Well, right. When we're not connected, mm-hmm. so when we're not connected to ourselves and we're not connected to them, it's so easy to live in this place of fear and worry. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's really and past. I just, it's really beautiful that soul to soul connection you're talking about though, that you knew instinctively. And I, you had written in your book that when you and Mark were in the hospital, you said nothing about this scene was in our playbook. And it reminds me of what you're saying. You said, at least if I knew where we were headed, I would know what needed to be done. And that really stood out to me because, um, on that outer world, you're talking about almost like these two different worlds that we always think are separate, or we were conditioned to think we're separate. So the way I hear you saying it is like when you were with Mira, you and were able to tune out that outside noise and were with her heart to heart, soul to soul, you were in your own world. And there you didn't, I mean, you would need a playbook, but you didn't need a playbook. And then when you stepped into the world of the doctors and, and on probably any sort of any conversations you were having, you needed the playbook. And that kind of ties into that kind of control. And when we in life are, you know, have this experience come to us, if we know anything, it's that we have no control. It's all, and you, and you talk a lot in the book about the as is, and you started with the as is today. But wow. So in this moment, you know, one thing, and then, you know, the other, and it's through that outside world that we're then tested on these principles that were, were the, the, as is the, the letting go, the letting go of the role of the fixer. But that it really stood out to me. Like, um, if I knew, like, just give me a roadmap. If you give me that roadmap, it's all going to be perfect. I know how to do that. Yeah. I know how to do that. Right? Well, and what is so fascinating to me about all of that is that is is this you know what our body knows and what our soul knows and then any time i was in a conversation say it was with a neurologist or if i was away the fear and the worry and the wanting to know what to do moves me further and further and further away from mm. from from my soul yeah. right which yeah. does know what to do yeah right? so, and it's not yeah. that it's not that there's no planning. It's not that I didn't need to do research sure. on things. It's not yeah. that, but when we're, when we're faced with any type of decision, we forget that we know, mm-hmm. right? The resources mm-hmm. and you know, this is, is, is within us. Yeah. And, and the restriction, the fear just create blocks to accessing that. So yeah. when we practice yeah. this accepting, or when we know how to connect to ourselves and another, mm-hmm. then we're able to look in our own guidebook. Yeah. I love that. Your own guidebook. You know, I'm thinking, of- well, I always feel like, oh, I was just going to say that I, I think our kids do come with guidebooks, mm. not the type of guidebook <laughs> we're used to see, not that we can read on our own, right? The only way mm-hmm. to read that guidebook is by tuning in and connecting to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they'll show us the way. I do. After years of being put to the test with parenting, I, I believe that. And it is a big trust in letting go. And at the same time, and you're a person that taught me this. Yeah. You do, you do the guiding on the side you do, but it's not in order to fix something or create an outcome that looks like your neighbors or your classmate or whatever it is. I was thinking too, about how you're talking about, like, we're talking about control or, um, fear, anxiety in ways. I feel like that those are there. They can be old operating systems and they keep us from, we, we, incorrectly believe that we're safe in those, like something is protecting us with those emotions. And it, I'm thinking like at that point in our lives, when we don't know, it keeps us from having to tend to this, this emotional and the emotions that we have to tend to, there are a lot. And especially if we've never really tended to them in our whole life. So of course, you know, even though we know that uh, fear or anxiety or worry that they don't feel good, we just don't know yet. We don't know what we don't know. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <clears throat> I wanted to, I, because I think there's, there's another piece to that. And that is just like, what is, what we think it both goes to, well, does it go to self-compassion? Let me see. It goes, this points to what we expect of ourselves yeah. and, and one tuning into the other can really help us in the letting go and, and knowing, looking at why we're actually doing something or, or not, or, or letting our children guide us. Mm-hmm. So I, I, for years, even when we've had au pairs living with us, helping with Mira in the morning, I always came down to make Mira's breakfast, helping with lunch, came downstairs. I needed to see her off. And I also think I went through some judgment of my husband who chose to sleep in the mornings. And I was just like, how can he sleep in the morning and not see his daughter off in the morning? Yeah. And was really judgmental about that. And in my mind, like that's one thing that made me a good mother to her or a good parent, I would even say, is that I would come down every morning. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed that um, oftentimes I would come down in the morning and Mira would just kind of look at me like, like, why are you here? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm in a great groove with my caregiver here. Don't interrupt this. Mm. And I was finally able to really look at that and because I would, I would feel guilty if I was to go to a yoga class or if I was to do yoga and not come down in the morning and what that meant to me as a, as a parent. And I thought, well, where is this coming from? Like, this is coming from an external, you know, external messages of what defines a good mother. When I tuned into Mira thinking she doesn't need me to come down every single morning like that. Mm -hmm. And, and also when I look at her relationship with my husband she's not upset with him for not coming out in the morning. And I thought, wow, so this is about me thinking what defines a good mother. And when I really like looked at that and held that and moved through that, it gave me then so much more freedom to come down because I, even if I still come down in the morning, there's a very different way of coming down when I am choosing to, because I want to Mm -hmm. versus because I think Mira needs me to. Yeah. I think that's where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. There's a big distinction. Yeah. But I needed to look to her. Like yeah. there's, she was my guide. She was your guide. She was giving you permission yes. and, and you weren't having it like at first. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 What a beautiful example of the guide. So if you were to say, you know, that's an archetype, right? The good mother, mm-hmm. let's take, take that and say, 
Cindy transformed down the line. Now, how do you kind of define a good mother? It's a great question. Well, so right now I'm so in the midst of like caregiver versus parent. Yeah. Um, to me, a good mother. I mean, I, it, those, those words are true. I know they are. If I think of a mother, a, a mother. mother, a mother is someone who a mother, a mother embraces mothering. Mm-hmm. And I think I have to mother myself yes. and remother myself in order to truly be able to mother my children. So the relationship you're seeking to create with yourself is intimate, intimate, one of wholeness, mm-hmm. one of acceptance, mm-hmm. yeah. one of messiness, mm-hmm. one that embraces humanity, but also is in touch with my soul and yeah. living according to my soul. Yeah. I, f- I feel like the word me-ness came. Me-ness. Yeah. It's, yes. What In a- order to do yeah. otherness, right? Yeah. Like I need to, I need, the more I do that, the more I can allow my children to do the same. The so that's what mother is, yeah. right? It's almost like that. creating this nurturing environment so that anyone who falls under my umbrella of mothering yes. can feel okay being fully themselves. Yes. So you're giving yourself this permission to be you, to fully be you embrace and, and look at the places, the judgment came in and the, the perfection came in and everything and whittling down, down, down to really who your trueness is and what a gift back to to just talking about your mom and her shop and her, when she was shining, it's, it's um they, they I always hear that when we give ourselves permission to shine, we we give others the permission to, or something like that. Or when we allow ourselves, we allow others to. And it's true because we're true. kind of taught or conditioned that if we allow ourselves, uh, as you say, to step into the space mm-hmm. and and not take up more space, but like step into it. Um you know, we're kind of conditioned to think that that's too much. That's, and, and that goes a lot of different ways, right? That, that goes to, if you practice self-care, it's, it's too much and you possibly, you couldn't possibly do that. So it keeps a lot of women from even, uh, first of all, um, you know, embarking on a journey of what that um, looks like. And you said something in the book that when you start the chapter about Mm self-care and, talking about you had had talked about it and you didn't realize at the time that it was more than just the manicure and the pedicure and the massages. And it's just, it turned into something different for you over time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to the way that I spoke to myself, to the way that. Yeah. Self-care was about, you maybe you're referring to, you know, I used to escape Mm -hmm. for self-care. I used yeah. to, yes, that was help. exactly it. It was, you had said it just like that, that it was a form of escapism, which I mean, honestly, to this day, like <laughs> I still need to integrate that, right. There are times I just need to get a, that. I need to be somewhere else because yeah. the, the noise and the chaos and the repeat of Taylor Swift in my house is something that I can't escape from. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and every now and then I just need need a break. So it's not to, it's not to, um, knock that because there's something yeah. valuable when I go away occasionally, but 
it's not long lasting. And is that, that reminds me of the coming down in the morning in the kitchen. Is it, is it really escapism or is it, you know, do we change that word? Like it still feels like it's got shades of it because you need to, right. But is it that your soul is craving the the expansion that you know is, is there for you? Yes. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, it's not escaping. It is leaving. Yeah. <laughs> right. By choice. Stepping out, stepping out by choice <laughs> to be able to fill, fill myself. Yeah. So yeah. that I can step back in, but you're right. Thank you for that. It's not, it's not an escape. Right. Well, the word even escapism, right. There's something like it's, it almost feels rebellious. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so therefore if I'm escaping, it's like, I'm getting away with something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm the way that I saw it. And so therefore, even if I would check into a hotel, there was guilt when I'm able to clearly say I'm going away for the weekend or I'm going away for the night because I need to refuel. And I just need 24 hours yes. of yes. just taking care of me. Yeah. Then I leave with a very different feeling around it, but so does everybody else in my house. Absolutely. Right? What does it yes. mean? Like, what does it mean to my boys mm-hmm. if I'm saying I got to get out of here? Right. 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 Versus I'm going to go take some time for me. Yeah. And I remember, I, I remember like when Noah was two, it was when we were living in Madison and I would go to a yoga class. Mm-hmm. He, he had no problem. <laughs> when I left to go to yoga classes, it was like, okay, bye. Mm-hmm, and yet mm-hmm. when I would leave for other things, it was like, no, 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 don't go, don't go, don't go. Oh, interesting. Like, yes, they, exactly. They know. Yes. They know so deeply when we are doing something that is taking care of ourselves it's versus like yeah. going to meetings, you know. Over yeah. The- I was just thinking about, struggle. yeah, that it's, it's great. Um, I was thinking too about, you know, Michael Brown in the presence process, he, he breaks down a lot of words, like he'll say, you know, insight is inner sight, but it just made me think about that word away. Like you're going away, but is away a way to, and you get to fill in the blank, right? Yeah. Love that. Yep. I'm going to the <laughs> so, way. I'm going to yeah, the way. <laughs> the way. <laughs> right. So I wanted to kind of circle back, like, because I really loved, I know that you have been a committed yoga practitioner. Mm-hmm. And um, that may have preceded your work with Sonia Sumar, who mm-hmm. does yoga for the special child. Mm-hmm. But will you talk about that? Because I think it's a fascinating journey you've been on with yoga. And I'm particularly struck, you have one example in the book, but I've heard you say in real life too, in real conversations, how you often um, almost see the parallel between a yoga pose and life. And for any yogis listening today, and I consider, I don't know how you feel about yogis. I think sometimes people take that on as like, oh, you have to do X amount of classes per week. But do Mm -hmm. we, do we step into being a yogi, yogi, the moment we step onto a mat? So a lot of questions in there, but. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what comes, I mean, I, I sort of a funny journey with yoga, because when I started graduate school, I mean, I think I went to my first yoga class in high school. And then when I was in grad school, I had a friend and colleague who was a teacher and went to some classes, but where I lived was literally next door to the integral yoga Institute. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to a class there 
and they were chanting and they were chanting ohm. And at that point I was like, this is too weird. I'm <laughs> out of here. And I remember hearing them blowing their noses in the shower all the time. And it was just, you know, just I, I felt like, okay, this is probably a good place to live next to, but I was, it was not me. So yoga was very much a physical practice for me back in the day. And I even was practicing yoga. I remember, I remember having a yoga to the house once for a private lesson when I was pregnant with Mira. But again, it was a, it was a physical practice that felt good. And it was only when I took Mira to a class when she was, you know, one and a half and the yoga teacher there who I then continued to work with with Mira said, you need more yoga in your life, lady. And you yeah. need to get up go to Chicago for this training. And it was like, okay. And I, and I did. And it was through Sonia's teaching where I realized that one yoga was so much more than a physical pro than a physical practice. And all of the philosophies of yoga around accepting, accepting the as is and the soul to soul connection, which really not only guided me with Mira, like really shifted my whole view on parenting and understanding of parenting and understanding this concept that Mira was a fully intact soul. So like that, that was earth shattering to me, but that for me, getting on my yoga mat every day is, is the way that I connect to myself. But in terms of the other part of your question, there is in every yoga pose, there is finding balance and ease with, with the strength and the control or the movement. There's, there's the form and there's the mm -hmm. essence mm -hmm. of every single mm -hmm. pose. And there's finding strength along with the ease. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, the definition of a yoga asana is when you find ease in a pose. So even though you can be standing in a warrior pose and feeling like your legs are about to give out, or you feel that burning sensation in your arms, yeah. how do you find the ease? And when you talk about like that kind of balance and ease, does that also, could that also mean the moments of being integrated with mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical as well? 100%, mm -hmm. right? How do we have and find and create space for the difficult mm -hmm. emotions mm -hmm. and know that they are to be accepted and to be felt? Yeah. And, and does it, I, I often experience in yoga too, the relaxation that it brings, brings uh, the emotions. So it's a beautiful just practice to have to even get in touch with like, oh, wow. You know, because I imagine some people get on a yoga mat and then experience the emotions coming, but don't know exactly, wow, wow what's going on there. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. And if you, if, you know, if one is taking the quick movement yoga classes, you don't, you don't get to that as easily, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, our bodies hold the emotion and when we are in stillness, mm -hmm the emotions present themselves. Yeah. And we're so often not in stillness and by being in stillness, whether it's in meditation or a yoga class, it is such a discerning time where you're just slowing down so much that I think that's why even me personally, it's taken me my life to get to the yoga mat because I wasn't ready. And so mm -hmm. I would kind of dip in and dip out. Um, yeah, it. Uh, I love that. And so then through Sonia too, you really 
you're saying like all these revelations are coming to you. Like, wow, mind blowing. Are you kidding me? Like, and you know, it, it feels like, you know, that in your heart. So that's language speaking to you. Like, oh my gosh, like this way to connect to my daughter. And, um, then you took that into life with Mira and my other kids. Right. And not to say that there aren't these there, you know, there are still challenges. And as you're saying, like ready to meet our emotions, I feel like this is, this is our life's work. Right. Mm -hmm. I know I have not perfected this practice (laughs) by any means, Yeah, Um, but to witness when I see myself closing down or not wanting to feel something it's Mm -hmm. for me, it's about, you know, the, the fact that we are learning how to be with these Mm -hmm. emotions because when, when we're able to, and understanding that we have learned in soul care, like that our soul is able to handle this. Yes. That's yeah. a key concept for me to hold that really allows me to, to feel things in ways that, mm. um, that I've done. Mm. Yeah. So. It brings it to a whole nother dimension. Yeah. Um, I want to go onto that, to the soul. And I want to also say about, you know, your, certification across time with Sonia's teachings. I I just want to say this that you had in the book is how she says every child, I think this is really important in the work because uh, for anyone who's listening that it, it has, has a child or works with children is that every child, despite any physical limitations, cognitive limitations, or emotional challenges is a perfectly intact soul shift, major shift there. I did speech pathology training. I was in a master's for SLP. You think I ever heard anything like that? No. I mean, I didn't even remember, I think in my training, talking about the emotional realm with the children I was seeing really. And so what a disservice. Um, And then in that, I think that what I read about your experiences, like you start to integrate this, you start to learn it. And then your intention becomes in life connection. And this whole idea of connection starts to take on a whole different meaning. And so you're beginning to apply it with your children, but let's talk about that because I know in a lot of the work that you do in your parent and family coaching, and Mm -hmm. I, I find this too, when a client comes to me and it is under the guise of parenting, it's, it's in inevitably about how do we care for ourselves? And it's, it's like just the biggest piece of it all. I think in any of this, like, Hey, I could be single and have an extremely stressful job or be caring for a really ill parent. And I would, it would be of benefit to me to learn how to meet myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we can apply that same principle to ourselves, mm-hmm. it just, you know, I, I think this even occurred just in the process of writing, writing the book for me in really embracing my messiness, because when I can see the, because I I know for me, one of, one of my, you know, one part of many survival selves is about being afraid to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And keeping quiet and um, not wanting to rock the boat and when I could embrace this idea that I too have a perfectly intact soul, mm-hmm. that everything else is just the human condition. Everything else is just a human life. Yeah. And none of that 
can touch my soul. Mm-hmm. Right. None of, or none of that can impede my soul from growing, from being. So I think when I learned that about Mira, yeah. I could apply that to my kids, mm-hmm. then my other, to the boys. And that's where, like, that's where we start. Like there is nothing truly, there is nothing more, more important to me than connection. Yeah. And that's where we start. So if we can start soul to soul with believing that every person who walks into, walks into our office, any person on zoom is a fully intact soul Mm -hmm. that has had a lived experience and has created, you know, various survival cells. um, There's a way to connect. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And, and we're all deserving. I love like that turning. Oh, it's not just for my children. It's not just for the other. I can, I, I have the ability to apply this for myself. I want to, you know, before we talked, when we first talked about what we were going to talk about today, Mm -hmm. one of the things was that, okay, yes, then life does happen. And so you began to, let's say, seed a lot of what you were learning and living by through the many certifications you were having, right? That helped you, you know, um, meet your experience, I will say. But that sometimes the storm and the chaos and the overwhelm will take us down. And I think you and I were talking about how we forget. Like in those moments, we forget everything we're talking about and it can seem hopeless and um, like there's no answers. Like, oh, you're like, yeah, right. Infinite possibilities. Screw that. Right. And so have you found yourself in that place at times in your life? And how the heck do you find your way out? Yeah. Or, th- or through. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. All of that is so true. And it's almost like sometimes we forget. And then other times, even if I haven't forgotten, I can't access it. Mm -hmm. So even very recently, now that Mira is about to turn 22 and leaves the special education system and moves to adult services, everybody has said, it's like you fall off a cliff. There's nothing entering, like literally entering another free fall where again, I'm wanting to control. I'm wanting to control. I want to know, well, what are the possibilities? Where do we go? And, um, you know, Mira is a kid who requires a great deal of assistance for every single daily living task. And I just always assumed that when it came time, she would be approved for residential services, even if I don't want her to live somewhere else. Um, anyway, long story short, she was denied residential services. And all of a sudden, again, every idea that I had about my life moving forward with Mira as an adult and my husband and our kids and being able to drop some of the caregiving and, you know, share it with someone else so that we could do some things that we haven't been able to do for the last 22 years, because a lot of that is reality and it's hard. Um, I will not deny that. And so in this world where I felt like everything was crashing down and understanding. So understanding and remembering this concept that everything happens for us and not to us, even in the midst of this, where in order to, so what, what happened is when Mira was denied residential funding placement, um, I was told that in order to fight it, which we needed to do, we had to appeal and we had to basically convince them how hard it is living with Mira physically, emotionally, 
financially. And I was catapulted in order to do this. I was catapulted into a world which, as you know, from my book, is the exact opposite of how I've chosen to live my life with Miro. Mm-hmm. I've chosen to live from a place of abundance, despite the, you know, it's hard, no question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I had to look at her as broken for two weeks. And I had to look at every ways, every way in which our family was broken to the point where I was in tears every day. And if someone were to say to me, it's all going to work out. And there's mm-hmm. a lesson for you in here. I was just like, what do you, <laughs> what do you, where, where? And, and even when I chose to believe it, it still made it really hard to access it. Like I, I will say in those yeah. two, where I was writing a letter and in this place of negativity, for lack of a better word, I knew that this was for me. I just didn't know where or how or why. Mm -hmm. So it did still help to hold that even if I couldn't see it. Yeah. I know enough now that it is out there and I trust, and I know enough about myself and my own creativity that we will find a way to make something work. Yeah. Yeah. And know that that will also need to have space for letting certain things go. Mm -hmm. But I do trust, but yes, in those moments, it's freaking hard to see and believe that something is for us. But I think knowing that that for us isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily come immediately, that it might be weeks, it may be months, it may not be for another year. Yeah. And it might be uncomfortable. Yeah. And really uncomfortable. And it can be really uncomfortable. Well, and a few things strike me about that um, story. And that's that the universe was having you go through some tough things mm-hmm. in order to get to where, so there was something in there for yes. your soul's learning exactly. that it, another thing is that even when we um, don't necessarily want to hear it, someone mm-hmm. else is holding the energetic compassionate space for you where you can't, where you can't envision it, where you can't be in that someone else. And even if we're not happy with them at the time, or like, you don't understand Mm -hmm. um, that, that it is very powerful to have someone else. And sometimes if it can be a group of someone else to hold that space for us. And then just this uh, concept of uh, our survival self. And when we reject in the moment, like sometimes when we push away the possibility is is that separation that we're perpetuating that we l- learned like when we were young and we learned through our family of origin that no one was there to care for us or whatever shade of that you know people mm-hmm. have experienced um in that and truly on our journey of like leaning into receiving and and yeah. so there's a lot there <laughs> yeah and it's making me want to share two two things and that is that um you know when we accept when we accept this idea of accepting the as is, mm-hmm. is not like throwing everything out to the wind, right? It's in this moment of, of, because not that we're out of this mess that we're in right now with figuring out what's going to happen with Mira, but it did make me come out. The lessons that I can say have already been learned. It's not that, okay, there's going to be a picture perfect solution for her, but it has brought me so much more compassion towards myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It brought me closer to my husband and understanding everything that he's doing 
and goes through in caring for her, mm-hmm. it also made me a stronger advocate. So just this morning, there was an article in the Boston Globe about how messed up the this world is for adults with disabilities right now and how in shambles the rehab and the day program situation is. It's made me a fierce advocate. Had I just sort of given up, I would see myself giving up and reading this. But today I was like, okay, I need to find out the, yeah. the senator I need to contact because right. so in a way like this is for us. Mm-hmm. This is th- these are some of the ways in which I am now truly believing this is for me. Yes, yes. And just that things will work out for Mira. Just I still don't know what that's going to look like. So being that being that, in that uncertainty is you know is challenging. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I love bringing to life because if we're talking about the as is, it's a Buddhist principle. It's this. It's given to us from. I, I feel like that's what I associate it with. Yeah. But um, it's putting in practice and it's not just like, oh, you're just on the mat all namaste and, and the as is. No, it's life and, and it's here to be lived. And we get these different, um, you know, we come in and we have our experiences that are uniquely ours. And I am sure that you have touched so many lives and kind of, you know, at the, as we circle towards the end of the interview, what are your, I know you've, you've balanced, you've balanced your work life. You've balanced your passions and the support that you are here to give individuals and families with your home life. Mm-hmm. It's and and the self-care that's needed in order to be the, I'll just say best version of yourself and mostly for yourself, mm-hmm. but what are your um, favorite ways or uh, ways that you work with individuals and families now? So I still love working with parents one-on-one. I love both teaching them other ways of, of, of thinking and living that they're not aware of, breaking them out of their own patterns and their, and having them look at their belief systems as opposed to living so rotely. Um, and I, I love integrating a concept of this completely intact soul and, and to be able to bring people closer to a belief that they have a completely intact soul, that they are a completely intact soul. Mm. Um, to me, there's nothing more powerful. So if I'm whole, you're whole. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of what Sonia said to you. I think it was Sonia who said about Mira's body. It's yes. It's um, but despite I, it, I, I can hear it like, you know, yeah. hear her voice mm-hmm. saying that, but as you said it beautifully too, just despite anybody's physical, cognitive, emotional, mm-hmm. developmental challenges, there is mm-hmm. a completely intact soul. And yeah. that's not, that's just never breakable, right? Like that, that is something we enter the world with and we leave the world with. Mm-hmm. And I will also add that you and I work together. I had sought you out when I was up against challenges that I saw myself as, and and some people would think this is, you know, out there, but I knew that I knew that I had taken on some conditioning from the outside. I was bringing in my own conditioning about what things needed to look like in my, in my children And I knew that I was being guided to shatter some of these uh, belief systems that I was still perpetuating, which I knew were not mine, 
but I hired you to help me break through. And we did some really powerful, fun, freeing work together that allowed me to look at what I was carrying on that was not my own in order to allow my child to be free and to um, shatter any glass ceilings that someone was trying to put on me and my family. And uh, it was really fun work we did together. It was so, I would say like, yeah, I was ready. And so that's the kind of work you do. And it's, I feel like you marry in a way, it's not just marrying two things like two people, but it's marrying a lot of different, but you bring in the spirituality, the, the, uh, I'll just call it Buddhism right now, but like the, as is the, the principles of the universe, and then some really great parenting strategies, because we need those too. So it's great. Yeah. Thank you, Maureen. Oh, you're welcome. Cindy, where can um, people find your work? I'll put up the book again, Free Fall. Gorgeous. This is for everyone. I was saying to Cindy before we recorded today, this is for everyone. This is not just if you have a child with complex needs, but it's for everybody because it's a book about life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. That's my, that's my hope. Um, And I can be found. My website is cindykcoaching.com. And I do have an Instagram. I don't post very often, but it's cindy.kaplan.parent.coach. And um, all of that information is uh, on my website too. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being Thank here you. and sharing with us. Experience. Yes. It was so fun. Thank you to the listeners and we will see you in the next episode. Check out the show notes for any and all links to find Cindy and anything mentioned on the podcast today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit MaureenSpielman.com or MysticalSisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.